Welcome back to another episode of the King's Pulse podcast presented by the King's Herald. My name is Brendan Nunes. We got Tim Maxwell joining the show, um, becoming a more and more regular guest on here. How you doing, Tim? I'm good. We said it was Maxwell Mondays, right? That's that's the plan. That's what we're going Maybe. with. Yeah. All right, cool. Alliteration, baby. I love it in my articles. Let's do it in podcasts. So yeah, I'm doing good. Uh, Kings just lost to the Warriors by, I don't even know how much they lost, but like 10 or 12. Um, kept it close most of the game, but I'm doing fine. Not so much like the Kings record now that they're one and two. Yeah. Uh, lost by 12 in that one. Um, it was a really close game for pretty much 40 minutes, 44 minutes even. Like it got a little out of hand at the very end of the fourth. Um, which is a trend maybe we'll talk about a little bit here, uh, kind of some fourth quarter collapses. But um want to talk about some things that we've noticed throughout uh, these first three games that the Kings have played and are now one and two coming out of those three. And kind of have to start with Davion Mitchell. You know, it was all over the uh, Twitter and Kings universe yesterday for the defense that he played. Uh, I, I know you tweeted out something that I'll, I'll let you um, talk about in a second of some of the coverages and, and defense that he's played, but the likes of Dame Lillard, CJ Donovan Mitchell. Um, yeah. I'll let you start with, um, with the, with the defense that you noticed from Dave Young. It's been incredible. We, you and I had, have been on several times talking about Dave Young before the season started. And, you know, the whole time was kind of like, okay, well, you know, summer league looked really good, looked really good in the NCAA, but you know, 22 year old playing against 17, 18, 19 year olds. There's, there's some room for, room for consternation. There's some room for concern. And like, is this dude legit? And this dude is freaking legit. Um, even when De'Aaron Fox, you know, said, oh, he's a top five on ball defender in the NBA, whenever he said that at camp or something, it was like, okay, well, again, let's take that with a grain of salt. But um, yeah, the thing I tweeted out, which kind of took off was uh, when guarding Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, and Jordan Clarkson, uh, Davion faced them for 75 possessions over his first two games. He held all of those players combined uh, to 20 points on 7 of 27 shooting from the field, which is 25.9%, 3 of 10 from three-point line, which is 30%. And all of those players and all of those possessions, they drew one combined shooting foul and then four assists to three turnovers. So um, the ability of Davion to body up defender or excuse me body up offensive players without committing fouls is incredible uh that's that's one thing i was i think i probably mentioned on an episode i was a little concerned about foul trouble for davion heading into the season because he's a shorter guard you know he's a short thick guard um and he's gonna be um physical but i i think one thing that um has i maybe a little ironically helped Davion and hurt Dan Fox is is the NBA's new uh, foul drawing rules, right? So the NBA isn't giving into those dramatic movements by especially guards anymore. So Davion can be a little bit more physical. Um, and his ability to stop on a dime, his ability to fight through screens, it's the entire package uh, defensively. And we've seen him take on, you know, Paul George. We've seen him take on other big wings. We've seen him take on uh, forwards, shooting guards, point guards, and his his combination of speed and core strength and bottom half strength really allow him to kind of position himself and not get moved. I think a little bit like James Harden when he guards the post. James Harden is a terrible defender, and then when he gets in the post, he's like unstoppable as a defender because he has that lower half strength. I think Davion um, demonstrates a lot of the same. So yeah, the, the defense has has just been incredible. I'm sure he has some stats or thoughts about it as well. Yeah, I think what you pointed out um, is everything that I agree with. Uh, the on-ball defense is ridiculous. Um, JJ and or 
JJ's podcast just featured Tyrese Halliburton, who Halliburton's on there all the time, and Davion was on as well. Um, and they kind of asked them, you know, how much of it right now is just instincts compared to the game plan that is getting put in front of you. Um, you know, he talks nice about the game plan, but he's pretty like it's pretty much all instincts right now. Um, and you see that it's all on ball defense. You know, he he clearly thrives on guarding guys in isolation when there's not all too many when there's screens to navigate. I think that that's something he still needs to work on. Uh, he mentioned on that pod that going up against this game in Curry would be somewhat tricky for him. And I think we saw moments of that. Like, I don't think he's the guy that you want chasing around Curry off the ball. Um, he's still probably one of Sacramento's better options at doing that, but it's truly just like, it's crazy to say, but like elite on ball defense already um, for a guy, his size. So yeah, the on ball defense is great. I think there's still some moments of off ball defense that need work. Um, I do have a clip here. Uh, that's something I haven't really done on this show, but I have a clip of uh, Donovan Mitchell talking about the defense that Davion played in that Utah game that I'll, I'll play here now. First off, he's, he is as advertised. I think that's how I, that's how you say it. <laughs> um, he's, you know, he's he's physical. He's quick. You know, he he does a lot of solid things defensively. Um, that disrupted not only myself but a lot of us. You know, he set the tone defensively. You know, he got the crowd involved. The crowd. You know, everybody call him off night. You know, and they they feed off of that. That's and that's a that's one thing I would say that you know he's he's really 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 good at. And you know, he's going to get better as his career goes goes on. But for us. Um, just being able to play through that, you know, their, their atmosphere, their whole atmosphere as a group, they're physical, they were running they're, they're doing so many different things. And you're right. You know, my five years is probably the most physical, I would say that they've been as far as kind of hitting and doing those things. And, you know, they did a really good job of it. They, they beat, um, Portland, you know, in the, in the same fashion, you know, and that that's, that's who they're going to be. That's going to be their identity. And I think for us, just being able to, play through that I think was huge because I last year I don't think we necessarily win that game and with the way they played and I think for us to be able to do that is huge but you know they're going to be a team like that and it starts it really starts with, with Davion on the defensive end and, you know everybody knows our relationship you know so I, I got mad respect for him and you know he's going to get better as his career goes on as the season goes on too yeah Donovan Mitchell talking of Davion a lot uh, like you mentioned at the end they have a they have a close relationship there but do you notice the physicality that he's talking about, the difference between this year and last on the defensive end specifically? Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of a compliment from Donovan Mitchell. But as he said, Davion sets the tone. You know, um, I think the one thing the Kings have lacked since forever has been an on-court leader. And there's been different veterans, you know, that have stepped up over the years. But, like, if Schumpert or Tristan Thompson – I'm not entirely positive that's going to like drive the team to greatness. But if your point guard, you know, your guy that leads the team naturally is driving you physically and on defense, I think that's going to really help set the tone. Um, and I think that's what Davion does for this team. It's, it's crazy. I, I know he's an older rookie. He's 22 or is he 23 now? I don't remember how old he is now. Um, but he's an older rookie, but still just to see him have that effect on this team um is is cool to see um do, do you think Davion has like even a shot at all defense this year yeah I I kind of laid this out the other day um I think the closest guy to a rookie was DeJounte Murray making it in his second year in 2017-18 um I mean there's a shot 
I, I think a shot is fine to say. Yeah. I mean, but, with the compliments he's getting from from elite guys like that, I mean, like that sort of stuff spreading helps too. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a big like I don't want to say popularity contest, but you're right. Like when people talk you up, that's what really gets you the awards in the league, especially those sorts of awards. I think the last rookie to do it, if I'm not mistaken, was Tim Duncan. Um, I don't know if it was first or second team, but there's only been five rookies in NBA history who've done it, and they're all you know legendary players. Not saying that just because Davion makes it, he'll become a legendary player, but I think he's got an outside shot um, if he can stay healthy and if the Kings can be competitive. I think that'll be a, a big point to that as well. Totally. Um, I didn't expect this level of defense from Davion, uh, at least year one, but I think that we knew that this was his calling card. Like I expected this at some point in his career, even though I didn't expect it this early, which is obviously a great thing. Um, the other aspect is, is the offensive game for Davion. And the first two games, he really struggled. We saw him have that really good uh, preseason game against Portland. I want to say it was six threes that he knocked down in that one. Um, but game one of the regular season against Portland in 24 minutes, uh, one of six from the field, oh of two from three, two points and three assists. Uh, game two against Utah in 31 minutes, one of eight from the field, oh of four from three, uh, four assists, only three points there. Um, he had four steals in that game. Wow. And then he comes out in this Golden State game and is just on fire from early on. And it didn't even feel like, I say on fire, but it didn't feel like he was just it didn't feel like outlier things that he was doing out there. It was like, you know, some of this is pretty replicable. Um, there's these off the dribble threes, these like hang dribbles that he's really comfortable with. He had a catch and shoot three. It was, it was the variety that was really impressive to me. He broke down Bielitsa in isolation one time, which I get it's just Bielitsa, but breaking down somebody in isolation is still nice to see from a rookie who's um, pretty much focused in on the defensive end of the floor. And that's where you're expecting the impact. He ends the game with, 9 of 16 from the field, 3 of 8 from deep, 22 points, 4 assists, uh, 2 turnovers. He had a couple a couple of those assists were nice like lobs to Holmes in the pick and roll. Um, this was a really promising offensive performance from Davion and only his third NBA game. Yeah, I think the where Davion will end up offensively, at least this year, will be the middle of the two grounds, right? He's not going to be a 3-point-per-game score. He's not going to be a 22-point-per-game score. Um, as you said, tonight's performance – he, he had 10 points in his first like five minutes of the game. I want to say or something like that, but they're all just in rhythm buckets. You know, he wasn't like Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, just like jacking up crazy threes and knocking them down and, you know, getting transition laps. He just was playing solid offensive basketball. Um, he, you know, he shot 45% from three in college on like almost five attempts a game. So that doesn't always translate. We have seen many, unfortunately Kings players that have shot well in college and then have been horrible in the NBA, but yeah, he's got an offensive package to him. Um, it's funny because early in the game, um, it was right, right. When he first got in the game, he actually had Bielitsa on an isolation and kind of pulled back and had Steph Curry switch back to him. And I wrote it in my game notes. It's like, Hmm, that's concerning. Like, you know, a slow offense start the first two games. And then I think like he scored 10 points in the next three minutes or something. So, um, yeah, he just, I think he needs to get comfortable. He's probably got a little, it's not this extreme, but I think he has a little bit of Halliburton in them and that he's going to pick his spots. You know, Darren Fox is just going to go get his and not in a bad way, but that's who Darren Fox is as a player. He's a, he's a primary one, a option. Davion Mitchell is not necessarily a primary one, a scorer, but when he gets his opportunities, it seems like he's going to capitalize on those. So, um, I see him probably ending the year, you know, averaging probably around a dozen points a game or, or somewhere around there. Um, and I think if you can add 
steady, non-spectacular but steady offense on top of you know top five guard defense in the league. That's that's a really really nice pickup for the Kings. Yeah, absolutely. Um, whatever you get from him just feels like a positive um, on, when it comes to the offensive end. Um, you know, you expect some some points from yeah Fox Halliburton. I will say in this in this Golden State game. Buddy Heald and Terrence Davis. Buddy Heald goes 2 of 11 from the field, 2 of 10 from 3, 6 points. Terrence Davis in his 12 minutes, 0 of 2, both of them from 3, 0 points. Um, like Those are guys that you expect some offense from. Um, but I want to stay a little positive before we we get to some maybe more concerning notes. Harrison Barnes has been ridiculous. Um, I, I think James Ham said that he's been playing like an all-star, and it's pretty undeniable right now. Um We'll start with just what some of his numbers were last year for a little bit of context. Yeah, 16 points a game on 49% from the field, 39% from three, which felt like um, a little bit of an outlier, or maybe not an outlier of it wasn't replicable, but it was a career high. It felt like a career best year, and that, that felt pretty comfortable to say for Barnes last year. The most field goals he shot in a game last year was 17. He averaged 11 a night. The most he shot in a game last year was 17. Game one against Portland, 19 field goal attempts. Game two against Utah, 20 field goal attempts. And this game three against the Warriors, he gets up 13 field goal attempts, a little bit lower there. Um, we saw Blake wrote a piece on the Kings Herald talking about um, the post game after, I believe it was the Portland game, uh, Harrison Martin's career high that he wants Barnes getting up three, eight three-pointers a game. Um, and the most threes that Barnes had in a game last year was nine. He averaged, I have a lot of stat sheets in front of me, uh, he averaged four threes a game. And so far in these first games, Barnes has 11 threes against Portland, only six against, and this is attempted, only six attempted against Utah. And then in this game against the Golden State Warriors, 10 so he clearly has been told that he should be comfortable and confident in getting his shot up. The efficiency has still been there for Barnes. Uh, yeah, I mean, he he clearly seems to be more of like a focal point of the offense without doing all too much. Like B Barnes is is really making an impact on offense this year. Yeah, I think this is a smart a smart play by Luke Walton for a couple of reasons. One, Harrison Barnes is probably the Kings' most consistent outside three-point shot over the last couple of years. Not necessarily like he's not body healed. You know, he's not going to catch fire and score 25. Well, he just caught fire and scored a bunch of points in a quarter, but normally he's not going to do that. Um, how? But he just is consistent. You look game to game, any game log from any season, and he's pretty much like hitting two of five three-pointers every night. And so I appreciate that Luke Walton has encouraged him to do that. I also think you look at the Kings starting lineup and they don't have a lot of offense, right? So you got Darren Fox, obviously. Tyrese Halliburton is more of a connector than a scorer. You have Harrison Barnes. You got Mo Harkless, who is a negative on the offensive end of the floor. And you have Rashawn Holmes, who can get points, but he needs a connector to get him those points. So really outside of Darren Fox, Harrison Barnes is your only I'm going to get my bucket score. And Harrison Barnes is such a completely different player than Darren Fox that he can just um, show a different facet of the Kings offensive game plan, right? Darren, Harrison Barnes can score in the low post. He can score in transition. He can obviously knock down three pointers. He can hit the mid range J. 
Um, and he's he's just kind of like the a little bit of the opposite player of Fox. So I do appreciate, uh, you know, we've been highly critical of Luke Walton on this show, and we probably will be again tonight. But the usage of Harrison Barnes um, last year, this year, you know, playing him more at the four. Um, I did a study a while back. This is la- like last season at some point where pretty much every season almost of Harrison Barnes' career, his numbers have always been better as a four than as a three. Um, and there's, a, I think there's a reason for that. He can, he can use the size advantage. You know, you watch Harrison Barnes in the mid post, high post, low post. He uses his size and length really well, getting that three, that um, triple threat to bring the ball above his head. You know, what I mean, he sees guys. He's a very smart uh, cerebral player, and I think having him as an offensive threat with this kind of weak offensive-minded starting five um, is is a really strong move by Luke Walton. Yeah, it's rare that I feel like we've been able to sit here and uh, be like, I-, I like this move by Walton, but definitely going to give him a little bit of credit for that, and it- it'll come back around a little later in the show. Um, but yeah, it- it's been great to see that from Barnes. I think the one other aspect that's uh, stood out a little bit to me this year for the Kings has been uh, the rebounding, not being atrocious. Like, it- it's not great. It's not winning them games, but it hasn't been losing them games. Uh, like, their fourth quarter breakdowns or things we'll get to in a minute here have been. Uh, last year, dead last in rebounding, 32 per game. Um, and this year has been a lot more promising. You know, 43 rebounds against Portland. They had 52 against Utah. And then in this Warriors game, they ended up coming away with 47. Um, Rashawn Holmes has been a really good rebounder in his minutes out there, something that I think he got a little bit of, not criticism for, but for all the positives that Holmes brings out there, it's never been rebounding. Um, 29 minutes against Portland, he gets 11 boards. In his 18 minutes against Utah, he gets 10 boards. And then tonight against the Golden State Warriors, 32 minutes, and he brings down 11 boards. Barnes is a big part of rebounding as well. Um, at, at very least, it seems like you know the two like main key weaknesses that we saw last year of defensive intensity and, and rotations and effort um, and then rebounding both seem to at very least have an emphasis going into this year. Absolutely. And whoever or whatever happened to kind of convince Harrison Barnes and Rashawn Holmes to make rebounding a priority has worked. Um, If that's Luke Walton, then props Luke Walton. If it's just the coaching staff in general, I don't know what it is. But um, I think when you had the Harrison Barnes at the three, you had a more not necessarily more on the perimeter, but, you know, he's got two bigs in there. His rebounding is not necessarily his responsibility, but you swap Marvin Bagley for Mo Harkless and you got to go to Barnes and say, listen, you got to get some boards for me because we can't, Mo Harkless is not, is not cleaning, cleaning that glass, right? Um, Tyrese Halliburton isn't cleaning that glass. Darren Fox isn't cleaning that glass. And then Rashawn Holmes, the same thing. You know, he doesn't have another big next to him. I think that does allow him a little bit more opportunity to get rebounds uh, because there's just, there's just more out there. Uh, but he's been doing a really good job. I mean, I know he's gotten some foul calls on some box outs, some of which have been legit, some of which have been questionable. Um, but he, I think he's just been more physical too this season. Like there there were times last year, not that he wasn't physical, but I feel like this season he's just picked up that intensity a little bit. Um, maybe it's because the Kings are finding themselves in situations where they can be intense and like there's a reason to be intense. Um, but I, I've just appreciated both of them stepping up to the plate. And he, really each player – um, in the starting lineup and even on the bench, um, we, we, of course, acquired Tristan Thompson. He's gotten more minutes than Alex Len. Thompson, for some of his very obvious warts, is a strong rebounder. He's a better rebounder than Marvin Bagley, um, better rebounder than Nemanja Bielitsa last season or, you know, 
not a better rebounder than Hassan Whiteside, I guess, but um, you can go down most of the Kings bigs last year and Tristan Thompson's a more accomplished rebounder. So yeah, I think it's partly personnel, partly just motivation and, and whatever the coaching staff has done to, to get these guys into gear for that um, certainly deserves compliments as well. Yeah. At very least that's not how they've been losing these games. Um, yeah. Barnes 15 rebounds in that Utah game, 25 and 15, which is crazy. Um, yeah. So let's let's stay on Holmes for a second here. He's gotten in a lot of foul trouble these last two games. Um, we saw him look off in preseason, um, like tired, I guess is how I, I labeled it, which is something I never really said about Barnes or I felt like could be said about him even in prior preseasons or anything like that. Um, and then in that Portland game, he looked totally I mean, he looked phenomenal. 21 points, 9 to 10 from the field, 11 boards. Um, I want to say his last shot was the first one that he missed in that game. Just a typical Holmes game against Utah. I mean, there, there's been like some quick whistles here and there, but that, that's not the reason the Kings are losing these games. I understand the frustrations with some of those, um, but only 18 minutes for Holmes before he fouled out. Um, and yeah, he couldn't go in for a while because he was sitting there with a few. There was a shot of him really frustrated walking into the tunnel during that Utah game. And then here against Golden State, uh, five fouls in his 32 minutes, but uh, the he had three by halftime and had to get pulled. It, it kind of has limited his opportunities. Holmes has always been a guy that's had a little bit of foul trouble, but is there anything different standing out to you in that aspect, or how much do you think that's hurting the Kings? It's hurting them um, partly because their backup center rotation is still questionable. I don't think Tristan Thompson's a great option, and neither is Alex Lyon, although I would prefer Alex Lyon over Tristan Thompson. Um, and Holmes is just such a perfect player for this team for all that he does. I think the foul trouble, like you said, Holmes has always struggled with fouls. You know, in his first two games, he's he's playing against Nurkic, he's playing against Gobert, two big centers, and Holmes is not a it's not a tall center. He's a smaller center. So I think that's part of it. It was interesting to me that in the Portland game, we didn't try Alex Len against Nurkic, who, you know, was a big dude, and Tristan Thompson's kind of in a Holmes-esque way with with his size. So um yeah i'm not really i feel like the kings over the first three games have just been really frustrated by the officials in general like i feel like there's been a lot of complaining a lot of like i don't i've seen deer and fox multiple times and this is like from like high school stuff that you learn like you drive to the rim to score if you drive to the rim to draw a foul the refs aren't going to give it to you and i feel like i've seen that a few times each game where like fox is just driving into three defenders tossing up a layup falling to the ground and then like looking around him widely like why didn't I get a call and there's been some missed calls like but I don't think there's been horrific missed calls all over the place um, a couple of bad missed calls in, late in the Utah game but yeah with Holmes I just think there's been this frustration and then I think when Holmes gets frustrated he gets physical and then he just c- kind of compounds the issue so um Long term, I guess I'm more worried about foul trouble in the sense of I don't trust the Kings backup centers to be effective or as effective as they need to be um, than I do with Holmes himself, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think uh, we've we've seen moments for Holmes. I think it's just the fact that it's kind of back to back games, but he still was able to play 32 minutes uh, tonight against the Warriors. So but you mentioned Fox. I, I think Fox has been a talking point. Um, I, I just looked it up while we were talking about this. I realized he only had one free throw against the Warriors tonight. One attempt on an and one he didn't knock it down there wasn't a single game last year even games where he went out early like i see a game here he played five minutes there wasn't a single game that he didn't have two free throw attempts um there were 
maybe I can think of one call that he probably should have got. Um, but most star players or feature players can probably say that on a given night. I agree with what you're saying. Like he looks frustrated to the point where it's like, you're not even, it's not even quite visibly frustrated where if you didn't like watch Fox regularly, I don't think that you would realize he just doesn't react to some of these things. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, we've heard a lot about talks of, you know, him not getting the respect he deserves. The broadcast talks about it a lot. Um, He might be settling for jumpers a little too much. Sometimes Um, it's a fine line, right? Because, I think he needs to be taking those. So defenses respect it. I like him displaying confidence in those shots. Um, it's like tricky specifically against Utah when you're talking Rudy Gobert, Hassan Whiteside are the ones waiting in the paint specifically Gobert. Um, but I mean, yeah, long story short, like are you, are you worried about Fox so far this year? 27 and eight in game one, 12 and five in game two. And then game three here, we get uh 17 and six from him along with seven turnovers. Are, are you worried about Fox like some people seem to be? I'm not worried. I'm not going to trade him for Ben Simmons. It's game three. I am worried is the wrong word. But what I would say is the Kings have a shot at 3-0 and right now if De'Aaron Fox plays well. And he has not played well. Even his 27-point game, I would not say he played really well that game. Um, I don't know what... It's quite going on. I saw a tweet from somebody earlier today, and I wish I could remember who it was so I could credit them. Uh, I think it was a retweet from someone else. That's why I don't remember who it was. But if I remember correctly, uh, through the first two games, the NBA is averaging every, every team is averaging nineteen. I don't know nineteen point two free throw attempts per game in the NBA right now, which would be the lowest in league history. So there's a clear emphasis on stop the free throws, stop the cheap fouls. You know, let guys play. And that hurts De'Aaron Fox. That hurts any guard that's seeking free throws. So I, I agree with you. There's been a lot of step back jumpers, I feel like, from Fox. Maybe even not a lot, but like more than necessary. Tonight he had one where he was like dribbling in and then like did it took his two steps after his dribble to step back to the three-point line and then like fade away and brick a three-pointer. And you're like, that that's a win for the defense. Every time he does that, that's a win for the defense. A set three-pointer, an in-rhythm three-pointer, an in-rhythm jumper is one thing. But when he's fading away from the basket, when he had an advantage and didn't take it, um, that's just that's just hurting Sacramento's offense. And even tonight, you know, I don't want to be too focused on one game, but when the Kings fell apart in the fourth quarter, there was probably a six-minute stretch where I don't know if any single player got beyond the free throw line. It was just pass around the arc, pass around the arc, pass around the arc, jack up a shot. Jack up. And, I mean, the Warriors were playing intense defense. You can't just blame the Kings for that. You have to credit the Warriors for that as well. But, yeah, there's just – I don't want to say lack of aggression from Fox, but one of his big critiques coming into last year was, can Fox be aggressive for four quarters a game for 30 games? And we saw that start to come out last year. You know, he had his career high in scoring. He he looked like top 10 point guard and has just kind of taken a step back this year. He's got a lot of new guys. Um, You know, he's sharing the ball more. Starting with Tyrese Halliburton has to be different for him. You know, when he was starting next to Buddy Heald, the only thing you're worried about with Buddy Heald is you're passing the ball to jack up a three. Tyrese Halliburton is going to control the ball. If he's playing next to Tyrese Halliburton and Davion Mitchell, now you've got two ball handlers you're playing with. So I think there is some adjustment there as well for Fox that maybe we're not taking into account as much, but I'm not, I'm not worried. Like, I think he's going to be fine. I don't think he took the offseason off and all of a sudden he's a bad point guard. Um, and again, I don't, I don't think his value to this team has decreased. At the same time, we can say from a game to game, 
from a game to game basis, the Kings have not been as good as they could have been if Fox had been who he was last year. So that's just, it's a little disappointing. I think it's a little bit like, man, if, if Fox had been Fox against Utah, we might have pulled that game out. If Fox had been Fox against Golden State and hadn't turned the ball over seven times, we might have had that game. Um, so, yeah, it's just a hard balance. How, how are you feeling about Fox thus far? I think you worded it perfectly. Um, I'm not worried, but you have a really good point. Like, if Fox plays at his usual level, then the Kings have a really good chance of being 3-0 and right now. So, yeah, I, I mean, I think um, that's where it's at. It's the turnovers that are concerning to me more than anything. Um, in these moments of a stagnant offense for Sacramento, I think there's been, in both of these last two games against Golden State and Utah, I want to say there's um, two between the two games, four or five-minute stretches of the Kings going scoreless. And sometimes... Fox isn't the guy out there um, during all of those stretches, but um, I think that there are moments when he is out there as well, where it's like you're saying, guys need to be hitting the paint. And that's something I think the Kings roster is just not very great at. Like Fox and Barnes are the two. And then aside, aside from that, like if you're talking Halliburton, Davis or Mitchell, those guys all need a screen, which is, is still totally doable. And sometimes the offense needs to get into that a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I not worried really at all. Like, I think you don't. It's not nice to see like it, it when your star is the one that's underperforming. Obviously, that's going to be frustrating. Um, if anything, the worry I have with Fox is that like the defense has been really good for the team in general. There's a couple times where it's like, wow, that was a really good defensive possession until this whatever happened at the end there. And you look, and I'm like, wow, Fox was the one like lazy on that rotation or a little slow. And I just don't like he he can't be that guy. Um, so, but early on, um, we'll see, not worried about Fox on offense. He'll pick it up clear best player on this team. Um, still, I don't think there's all too, I mean, Barnes has been, been crazy, but, but we'll see. Um, yeah, not all too concerned about Fox going forward. Those turnovers are, are bothersome and hopefully he kind of can find a happy medium between understandably looking for fouls sometimes. And also, like you said, like driving with the with the purpose of scoring um who do you want to move on to who or what do you want to move on to next here tim uh you want to just talk maybe like bench bench rotation how everyone is performing and or not performing yeah sure who's who stands out to you first here uh terrence davis woof Mm. woof uh woof he he like showed potential with the raptors and then was solid for the Kings last year. We can't take that away from him. Averaged 11 points a game on, on solid numbers. And then has been absolute ter- absolutely terrible. I didn't want to call him a name. Absolutely terrible to start the season. Just he is a net negative. Like, And I, I would say he's been the Kings' worst player thus far in the season. Um, and then I, I don't know where his shooting went. His defense has been okay, I guess. Um, Decision-making has been bad. Like He's like buddy, like a mini-buddy healed out there just jacking shots up left and right, and they're not close, and they're not good shots. They're not in rhythm. Um, yeah, he's the Kings, I mean, this is just kind of going to be a, a highlight of the season until we make a move. The Kings don't have any wings. They have Harrison Barnes. That is it. Terrence Davis comes in and plays the two, three spot, you know, whatever we want to call that spot, the third guard spot. 
and he's been awful. And the Kings needed him to not be awful. The Kings need him, I should say, to not be awful this year if they have any hope of competing because he is their kind of their de, de facto backup wing until we get a real backup wing. So um, do you have any positive thoughts about Terrence Davis thus far? No, I mean, like you said, like he's been fine on defense. Like the energy's okay. He's got a really quick trigger. Like to to the point where I'm like, it almost feels like that he had to have been told to be almost maybe not to that extent. He had, I want to say it was the last preseason game when he caught fire um, against the Lakers. Um, and I, I guess you'll see moments of that, but I didn't expect, expect this level of streakiness. And yeah, he got the start against Utah um, when, when Mo Harkless was out, which was a little surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, like it's not, yeah, they, they need to have that eighth guy in the rotation and he's clearly the eighth, um, when, when you're looking at the Kings roster here, but yeah, I mean, you can't, or I'm sorry, ninth, but you can't cut it down to eight. Um, that's just, I mean, we talked about depth being an issue last year and I, I still do think the depth is a lot better than last year, but you're also starting from a, a very crappy spot when you're talking about, um, comparing it to last year's depth of the Kings. So, no, I mean, it, it's hard to to really find a positive. Like, he throws it up very quickly. Um, yeah, I mean, he's not I, – I don't think he's the reason uh, – I, yeah, I don't know that, like, I think he's a terrible negative out there, but he, he has been a negative in pretty much most of his minutes. Yeah, Terrence Davis isn't going to cost us the season one way or the other, right? We're not going to look back at the season and be like, oh, Ter- if Terrence Davis had been good – would have made the eighth seed at the right. same rate. Um, something we were talking about earlier, kind of in a, in a group chat with the Kings Herald folks was the, the Kings kind of need everything to break right. A lot of the time, like with the rotations, with their depth, with their everything, they kind of need just things to break right to win games, especially against good teams like the Warriors and the Jazz and the Blazers. Terrence Davis is something they need to break right at this moment. Um, and he's, he's not been there thus far, but yeah, there, there's obviously been much larger concerns than Terrence Davis, but um as you said, you can't go down to eight. They're not going to play Bagley at the three. So Terrence Davis, I, I mean, or you, you go to King. I mean, that, that's your next option. But clearly, Davis has Robert won the Woodard, trust. Excuse you. Excuse uh, I'm not. I'm not going to do it. Like, why are we wasting our time with Robert Woodard on this podcast? Um, wow. Wow. No, wow. Maxwell Monday's canceled. Maxwell Monday's canceled. <laughs> um. But yeah, I mean, Terrence Davis, I actually threw Terrence Davis out as like a dark horse starter for this team in the preseason because he played so well and because we needed another wing if, if Mo Harkless wasn't going to start. It's my that, fault. That's why this is happening. Yeah, that's why. God. Dwayne Deadman 2.0 over here. Um, <laughs> I would call the board on that one, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, how do you think Tristan Thompson has done thus far? Not as bad as I know you think. Like, I don't think he's been – goodness i mean he's better than the backup bigs they had last year and i don't think that all too much like he he has his offensive blunders that like really stand out i just think like the the occasional dumb play is like really highlighted by the way that thompson has it here and there Um, because they're so bad I mean, I, I'm not saying yeah. I'm not I'm not saying they're unaccept like they're horrible like they just look horrible so it like stands out yeah. really. Yeah. And then I think like his defensive impact when it comes to like rim protection and like deterring shots is like a lot quieter, you know. So I think like the bad things just are loud and in the, the good moments of 
I, I do like I just think his rim protection has been good and kind of probably refreshing compared to what I saw last year. And I think that I mean, admittedly, that's also an aspect of the game that I just have been sh- like craving the last couple of years. So I might be focusing too much on that because the blunders are there, like like you're kind of talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't enjoy Thompson as a player. I don't enjoy watching him as a player. Um I wouldn't say he's been bad. I joke about it. I don't know if he's, he's been fine. Like he's fine. I would play Alex Len over him in most scenarios, but I'm an Alex Len fan. And I think it's close enough where like, I don't think anyone can come to be like, no, Tristan Thompson's obviously the better player. And I can't go to someone and be like, no, Alex Len is obviously the better player. There are probably a lot of, I think I would have played Tristan Thompson over Alex Len tonight against the Warriors. Cause the Warriors don't have a big hulking, you know, seven foot dude. That's going to slowly run up and down the court. Um, so I, I, I think there's an advantage to having Thompson and Len and affording them matchup differences. You know, I think overall Len's a better rim protector, um, or at least a shot blocker. And then Tristan's the better rebounder. Um, Tristan's probably the better passer. Len's the better off, maybe offensive. Anyway, they're, you know, they just have different skill sets, different sizes. I don't think he's been terrible, Better than Hassan Whiteside is about the lowest bar one can make in the NBA. <laughs> um, he's certainly been better than than Hassan Whiteside. Um, I he's just he's a and it's it's a partly a compliment to Holmes that he's just such a big drop off from Holmes. Um, and I think too his playing style is very different from Holmes, especially on offense, right? Like, and I think maybe that's part of De'Aaron Fox's and even Halliburton struggles a little bit too, is like, you can run the pick and roll with Holmes and have a real offense through that, right? You can't run the pick and roll with Thompson as a real offensive game plan and be effective. And that's all of the Kings backup bigs. And I think that's something to consider, Monty Minier to consider moving forward. Holmes is an elite pick and roll player. Thompson, Len, and Bagley aren't, no, none of them are very good in the pick and roll um, or very effective. So, but yeah, I, I think he's been okay. He's been okay. Not great, not terrible. Yeah. I was surprised that Thompson just, like, seems to be favored over Len. You know, like, I, I think it makes I, – I kind of understand a little bit with Portland because at first it was like, yeah, I mean, Nurkic is huge. And then I'm like, I don't know, I guess everything runs through Lillard and McCollum and they just hunt guys on switches. So, like – I could guess I could see it a little bit, but I would have liked to see Len tried there. Um, Thompson also played played fine in that one, but yeah, it is surprising to me how much it seems like uh, Len is or Thompson is favored over Len. And that Utah game uh, seems like an outlier when it comes to opposing centers sizes that you're going to face in the NBA. When yeah, I mean both the starter and the bench big for the opposition and Gobert and Whiteside are just absolutely ginormous. Um, so Len was favored over Thompson in that one, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I hope they play they play with that and and kind of uh, see. I mean, there's. I think we could sit here and say that this is when to use Len and this is when to use Thompson, but reality is, I mean, when it comes to complementing the other guys, like the offensive end of the floor, like you're mentioning right now, um, is something that you just kind of need to test out here and there. And I think that's a rotation that will need to be tested out by Walton moving forward. Um, but he heals the other one here, and. Against Portland, it was weird in like a really good, promising way. But it was like, wow, Buddy had 17 points in 30 minutes on four of seven from three. Um, and just really quietly played his role. Like 
it, it didn't feel like there was ever a shot where he was doing all too much or anything like that. Um, and that just is a low amount of shots for Buddy to get up in a game. And then Utah, um, six of 15 from three, which is still, I mean, that's a good, that's a good percentage. That's a whole lot of threes. Um, and also he hit six of the eight threes that Sacramento made in that game, which is ridiculous. Um, and then in this Warriors game, two of 10 from three. And the two he made, I believe, were in the fourth quarter. And he, he made one, his first out of, I want to say, seven or eight. And then the next possession, the first time he got the ball again, he chucked it up. And it was def definite heat check, which I don't know. I guess you could sit here and be like, yeah, it's Buddy healed. Like, but. I don't know. It's been a little much like you don't expect. I mean, two of 10 from three for Buddy is clearly an outlier, but just each one of these games has been so drastically different for him. I don't think Buddy Hill fits this team very well. I think that's a big part of it, right? You got your three guards and Fox, Halliburton, Mitchell. <clears throat> you got Terrence Davis coming in the game who's, you know, got a contract this summer and it's going to be at least part of a thing maybe. And then Buddy Heald is just like the leftover piece from the last group, you know? And I, I think, to Buddy's credit, we have not heard a peep out of him about coming out off the bench. And this is something we have worried about for literally years, is what's going to happen when someone finally says, too bad, Buddy, you're coming off the bench. Game over. Um, and he's been... I think he's played hard. You know, you mentioned it, Blazers game. He passed the ball. He, he played within his role. Um, I just don't think Buddy fits that well. As as much as this team needs shooting, too. Like, there's not a lot of great shooters on this team. Um, like, if if we could just trade Buddy for a wing, we would be in a really good position right now. So, I just, I think he's trying to figure out his role. You know, I, I think tonight, you look at it, I think he took 11 shots, 10 of which were threes. But Davion Mitchell took 16 shots when he was taking like seven on average and the two, you know what I mean? So like there's, there's a little bit of give and take there where his, his main bench uh, partner went off. So buddy had to take a step back because Davion was legitimately literally taking his shots away from him, not in a bad way, but just to know this is the way it's going to be tonight because Davion's shooting well. So I think that's part of it. Um, Buddy's always going to be an up and down three point shooter and shooter in general. Um, one thing that probably doesn't get criticized enough about Buddy is just his field goal percentage is poor for an elite three-point shooter, and it's decreased every year, I think, since his sophomore year. It just slowly gone down, gone down, gone down. And tonight, wasn't he was 2-11 from the field tonight, 0-1 from inside the arc. Um, so, yeah, I just I, – I don't want to say I don't fault Buddy for not playing well because he needs to be criticized when he doesn't play well. Same time, third game coming off the bench in a role in a, in a team he doesn't fit. Buddy Heal does not fit this team. I just, I truly and firmly believe that, um, especially if Fox and Halliburton are your like your primary guys. And then Davion Mitchell's up and coming. And, you know, Davion's just going to continue to get minutes. And I think Buddy's going to continue to lose minutes, um, even though he played over Tyrese Halliburton tonight, which is egregious. But we can get to that in a minute if we want to. Um, so, yeah, I just. I don't know, Buddy. I think Buddy's in a weird position. I think this team's in a weird position with Buddy. He was traded and then not traded, which I think just creates an even weirder atmosphere. Um, I'm curious, if you could go back today and make that Lakers trade, would you? 
yeah. with Kyle Kuzma. Yeah, I would too. I think that would be such a better a better roster, more complete roster. If you could start Kyle Kuzma or Harrell, either one at the four, Barnes at the three, I think you're in a much better position. But what do you think about Buddy so far? Yeah, I think you you worded it well there. Like it's been up and down, but he doesn't fit great on this team. Like I think he's been somewhat as expected like I, I mean I guess you don't expect this type of outlier night but I, I'm kind of willing to write it off a little bit like he maybe put up yeah I don't know that one heat check stands out to me but there weren't like egregious shots um yeah I mean I will say like if uh we're talking about and who knows if this is actually a capable deal but pretty much healed um for replacing him with Ben Simmons is uh, fitting that forward position. You need another creator on this roster. You need defense. Uh, just saying, you know, yield Bagley and three, three first. Who knows? Who knows? But we don't. We've talked about Simmons enough. Um, yeah, I think you worded it really well with Buddy there. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't have too much to say about Harkless. I've been happy with his defense. He's kind of just playing a role on offense. He probably is asked to do a little bit too much for this point in his career. Um, but do you have any like thing notable on Harkless before I want to talk about Halliburton for a sec? Uh, just one thing. Someone tweeted me tonight. I thought they put it really well. Is BMF underscore Mike Hamill. Hopefully I said her name right. He said, Harkless doesn't do that much wrong. He just doesn't do enough really meaningful things to justify starting. I think that's a perfect de- definition of Harkless. He is a solid bench wing and not a good starter. Um, not that he's a bad starter, but with a team at the level of the Kings, they're still looking for the fifth starter. So yeah, Mo Harkless, if we could have him coming off the bench as a three, four option, two, three, four option, it would be great. I don't have any complaints about him because he's, he's just playing the role he's been assigned to him. Totally. Totally. Um, I've, I've liked his, his uh, defense when he's out there, the rotations seem a little bit cleaner compared to uh, when some other guys are out there in his place. Halliburton. I, it's weird. He had nine assists in this one to go with eight points against Golden State. He really, like, early in, I want to say it was late third or early fourth, he really started to take control of the game. I know I know, it doesn't sound like much with eight points, nine assists, um, but he was initiating the offense fairly regularly. It felt better when he was doing that compared to Fox for good moments of this game. Um, but it's just been inconsistent. Um, we've seen twice now him not close portions of like end portions of close games in favor of Davion Mitchell or actually tonight was in favor of Buddy Heald. Um, We'll get to that in one second here, but I think my take on Halliburton um, that I don't feel amazing about, I mean, I'm not going to feel amazing about any of these three games into the season is that just like, he's still trying to, he's trying to fit around what this roster is when I think Halliburton needs to, assert himself and the other guys fit around him. Like if Halliburton is going to be a possible all-star in this league or, you know, borderline like fringe, Oh my God, this guy should have been in the conversation sort of thing. Um, rather than just elite role player, then we need to see him step up more often. Like I, I think he was better than his stat line shows in golden state, but I, I would like to see Halliburton be a little bit more assertive, which I think is something that is hard to do for a player when you're just, a little bit more pass first, get your teammates involved. And there's a lot of positives to that. That's part of the reason I think Halliburton is such a great player. Um, but I think just when you look at like the pecking order on this roster, 
I would like to see Halliburton be a little bit more controlling and um, take over control of portions of some of these games. Totally agree. Um, I don't. Halliburton kind of had a little bit of the same. I don't want to say even criticism, but like identifying marks in college where he was like connector, and we feel like he can do more. And it's. I don't think it's. It's not a laziness thing or like a, a selfish thing. Halliburton just wants to make everyone else around him better and make sure everyone's fitting well. Um, but part of making sure everyone is fitting well is making sure you're, you're fitting well, right? Like you go get yours sometimes. Like you said, tonight there was a, a, a stretch where it was like, man, Hallie, like, yeah, that's that's what we need from you. And then it kind of went back into passivity. And it's interesting to see last year there was a lot of controversy about Buddy getting sat in fourth quarter situations for Halliburton. That was a big storyline last year, especially towards the end of the year. We're seeing the reverse take place this season. I think part of that is tonight we need – I think tonight we were down seven or 11 points. He just wanted Buddy's shooting. Um Halliburton um, in the first game had a usage rate of 8.7%, which was lowest on the team. If your usage rate is lower than Mo Harkless, you have done something wrong. If, you're, if your usage rate is lower than Tristan Thompson and Alex Lynn, you have done something wrong, Tyrese Halliburton. Um, in the second game, I just looked up, I think he was seventh in usage rate. And then tonight he was either sixth or seventh in usage rate again. Um, we need more from him. And this is the same a similar conversation we've had about Fox over the years. Like we need to see a higher level of aggression and Halliburton is, I guess I'll use the word worse than Fox and that he has the need, a greater need than Fox did this at this point in his career. And this is also kind of like, Hey, you drafted three point guards to be your guys. What's going to happen. Right. So, you know, against Utah, Fox struggled and Mitchell struggled offensively. So Halliburton had a better game offensively um, against Portland. Fox at least took a ton of shots and scored a lot of points. So you saw Halliburton kind of take a step back tonight. Mitchell had a good game. Halliburton didn't take as many shots and there's, there's somewhat an advantage to that, but the, I've heard, I've seen things about Boston with Tatum and Brown, like neither of them can ever have a great game at the same time. And it kind of feels like that with Fox and Halliburton. Like it's going to be really hard for them to have great games together because they both need the ball in their hands to be effective. You can do it. It's possible, but there's just a challenge when your three core players are all ball handlers. Um, so yeah, I just, I would like to see more out of him aggression wise. Um, and maybe Walton sitting Halliburton because he maybe in practice or in games, I can see it. Walton going, I need, I need you to go get yours. And Halliburton's kind of sitting back and Walton's going fine. Then like, I can't, I can't have you out there if you're just going to pass the ball around the court. Like that we need more from you offensively. Halliburton is a great shooter. Um, he's a, he's a great passer. He, I think he's the best natural passer on the Kings personally. I think strategically one thing the Kings could do to help Halliburton is I don't know why the Halliburton Holmes pick and roll is not a like a primary option within the Kings offense. Halliburton is an elite elite like last year he as a rookie he was an elite pick and roll passer and scorer. Holmes is like 98th percentile in pick and roll scoring and efficiency and completion rate and foul drawing. So I just and again it's partly because De'Aaron Fox needs the ball in his hands to be effective and with Holmes foul trouble, 
right? Like you, there's only so many minutes to go around with all of these guys. So the redundancy is built into the Kings roster, I think is hurting them a little bit, especially hurting um, Tyrese Halliburton at times. So yeah, we need, we need more aggression from Halliburton from on a personal level. And we need the coaching staff to enable him to, to find that level of aggression appropriately. Totally. And I think a lot of it comes back to, we got this idea last year that there's more to Halley than just an elite role player because we saw moments of it. Um, I think there was a Golden State game last year. He had some highlight. I want to say he dropped uh, Damian Lee or something like that and had a four-point play. Um, but that that entire game was great for him. He had a Brooklyn game. I think those are the only two games, if I'm remembering correctly, from last year where he shot the ball um, upwards of uh, – I don't want to get the number wrong. He shot the ball – a whole lot in those games and more than um, more often than usual and more often than what we've seen throughout this year. So if we still had this idea of he's just an elite role player, I think what you've seen is kind of fitting that more so than a second or third guy on a championship roster. Like you need more than that. If that's what we're talking about as the eventual ceiling of Halliburton, um, and we've seen those flashes. So hopefully that comes around. I'm totally with you on a Halliburton Holmes pick and roll. Like that should be a staple. Like you're saying two elite pick and roll guys. Um, is there, yeah. I mean, do you, do you feel a certain type of way about Halliburton getting benched? Like I, for all the critiques of Walton, um, I think one thing is that like, I felt like he has been quick to change rotations when needs be. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm hesitant to say that like Halliburton didn't need to close overhealed in this game. Uh, the Golden State game. I mean, the end of the Golden State game was a little desperate, like you mentioned. So I somewhat understand he was really bad against the Portland, like even outside of whatever schemes or anything. Like, he was just really bad. It might have been his worst game in a Kings uniform. Um so it fr- my point of view is like I understand it being frustrating, but I'm also not going to sit here and, and say that it's horrible necessarily. Like it's just something I'm going to keep an eye on. It's too early to call for me sort of thing. Yeah, one thing I've tried to learn over the last couple of years on a, on a personal level from analysis is just because I disagree with the decision doesn't mean I have to call that decision wrong. Like I would have had Halliburton out there actually even against Portland. I said, I would have Halliburton out there in late game situations. He was the Kings, probably their best clutch player last season. I mean, he's just a calm, cool, collected cerebral player. And that's what you need in closing game situations. But I'm, I don't think he did anything to like deserve to be out there tonight or a different night either. So yeah, I just, I would have had Halliburton out there. I don't think it's a, it's like the worst thing thing in the world to have healed i just i don't agree with it i i but you know what again it didn't cost the king's game right like little decisions add up to big consequences but he hasn't been who we need him to be thus far um and i i think too you know correct me if i'm wrong but i think when we really saw halliburton shine last year was when fox was out due to injury that's when we kind of were like, okay, well, like this kid can really lead an offense, which was one of the questions of him leading coming into the NBA. Not that I think he's a, like a primary, like full-time point guard, but um, yeah, I, I don't agree with the decision, but I'm, I'm not going to necessarily freak out over it either. Like you said, keep an eye on it. If Halliburton's getting benched 40 games in the season, 
then we have a much bigger concern either with Halliburton or the coaching staff um, at that point when it will be Alvin Gentry or whoever it is. So got that little jab in there. But um, yeah, Doug Christie. Yeah, <laughs> Doug Christie. There you go. I didn't. Why not? Um, yeah, I'm not. Hallie is. I think he's just going to take some time, and I don't know if he ever gets there. Um, from from like you said, a potential all star. You know, he's a guy. He's a he's a second or third option. I think he's going to take some time. And I think this roster needs some adjustments before he's going to get there. Yeah, I think um, overarching positives, just kind of as a little bit of a recap, is uh, Davion Mitchell, for sure, on both ends of the floor, specifically on defense. And then tonight, I think, against Golden State was a great flash into his potential offensive versatility. Harrison Barnes is playing out of his mind and not in a way that feels unsustainable outside of that Portland game. Like, he hit out. I mean, he was on fire in that one, but like you mentioned, like Barnes is a very consistently good three point shooter and he's just never shot it this many times. Um, and that feels like something that's going to stick around. Like I pointed out at the beginning of the show, I mean, it's more shots in these three games than um, he's taken in the highest amount last season of any game. So that's positive there. I think they've, they've uh, cleaned up the rebounding a little bit there. There's an emphasis there and, those two things, the defense and the rebounding, were the Kings were the worst in the league last year, those two things. So cleaning those up is certainly notable. Um, negatives, Fox has been shaky. I think you worded it really well. Um, I'm not worried, but if Fox plays to his usual caliber, the Kings could be 3-0 and right now against really good opponents, by the way. Um, yeah, Halliburton needs to, it almost seems like Halliburton and Heald, I guess, probably fall into the same of needing to find their role and comforts within this new current roster. Um, yeah, some of the bench has been a little bit shaky, but I don't think that they're make or breaking anything at the current point. Um, is there any other things that stand out to you? Just a question, I guess, for you. Did Halliburton and Fox start any games together last season? Do you remember off the top of your head? I want to say there was an injury like to like healed. Yeah. I think healed didn't play one game last year, if I'm yeah. remembering correctly, something like that. Yeah. So that's just something to keep in mind too. You know, these guys haven't, haven't started games together before. So that's just another adjustment. And Fox is going to just be Fox. You know, Fox is the franchise cornerstone. He's going to get his, and that's just another layer to the Halliburton discussion is he's never started next to Darren Fox before, or one game, maybe two games, whatever it is. Um, Final thoughts. Um, I feel okay about one and two. I thought we might be 0-3 before the season started at this point. So coming in one and two is solid. Fourth court execution has been pretty horrible, especially offensively. Um, I just saw, uh, I think Matt George tweeted out, that we've been outscored by 30 points over three quarters, or over three fourth quarters in three games. And that's, and that's taking in you know the Portland win. Um, so yeah, just... Uh, I tweeted this out right after the game. This is an incomplete roster, and until it's complete, I just don't think we're going to see the potential of the pieces we have, the the the, the Barnes, the Fox, the Halliburton, the Holmes, the Mitchell. Uh, once this, If Monty McNair can pull off a trade and complete the roster, um, I'll, I'll be a lot more optimistic about this team. And until that happens, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of trend around my 39-42 win prediction. Totally. Um... Yeah, next game for the Kings is Wednesday against the Phoenix Suns in Phoenix. They got a little four-game road trip coming up. Phoenix, they get one day off before they go to New Orleans, and then a day in between 
headed to Dallas. And again, one day in between finishing that four game road trip in Utah. So pretty rough stretch. Um, New Orleans looks sketchy with Zion out, um, but, you know, still a team that I think can somewhat understandably be placed in Sacramento's caliber. I think the Kings should win that one, but that's probably the only game that you look at there where you're like, yeah, the Kings should be favored. The others, I think they would be notably underdogs, specifically Utah and Phoenix. So a rough stretch ahead of them here. Um, overtime segment. I have, what did you have? I, did you have I was just gonna say, I was not, a, I was not made aware of the question ahead of time this time. So no research was done on my part. Yes, I have a very quick one. Okay, well, actually, I have. So the old man in the three podcasts that JJ Reddick pod, uh, Davion and Tyrese both went on, and they talked about the origin of off night. And I just want to talk about this real quick because I thought it was hilarious. Um, apparently, I, ha- I actually I have the clip. I'll, I'll play it real quick. First of all, my understanding is that Davion has an amazing nickname, Off Night, that was. I believe the origin of that story, if, if Tyrese, if you could explain the origin of that story, but I believe the origin of that nickname came from Tyrese. What's honestly crazy is I, I read that the other day. <laughs> I didn't know that. I read it the other day and I was like, yeah, you know, it makes sense. Cause I had a couple off nights. I did. I did. I did. When we played Baylor in college. Uh, but yeah, no, I think it's one of the best. It's one of the best nicknames. I think it fits really well. My favorite part about it is Davion didn't come up with, come up with it himself. I love nicknames where people where people don't come up with it themselves. So I appreciate that about the nickname. Wait, so you didn't you didn't give him this nickname? Where did it come from? I didn't get his his either people have. I don't know the true answer. It's got to be. Davion, you got to You got to provide some yeah, insight on this. Yeah, I'll tell you. I'll tell you the story about that. <clears throat> so the story came from actually we played Tyrese, and Tyrese is a big name. Um, we was all looking forward to playing him because he was like the best player on the team. He kind of did everything. So when we went into the game, it was like we game plan just to stop him. And that game, I mean, we kind of made it hard for him. We kind of put a lot of a lot of a lot of bodies on him. And then he ended up having an off night. And my guy ran back in this and um, Peyton came up with a name. And it was like, hey, he had an off night. That's what we're gonna call you. We're gonna call you off night. And I was like, oh, I'm cool with that. And then it just the name just stuck with me throughout the whole college season, bro. I just thought it was hilarious that that name started after a matchup with Tyrese Halliburton in college. And there, there's a lot of like good, funny things about just those guys' characters in that pod. So definitely recommend listening to it. But the fact that it came after a game against Tyrese was just hilarious. And Tyrese has continued to have off nights with Davion on the team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That is a great one. Okay, so real quick. I got a quick overtime one here because we're running a little long. Pretty basic. Would you rather have to speak in rhyme for the rest of your life or speak in riddles for the rest of your life? You already do uh, both, I think. So I do a lot. I'm a, I'm a wordsmith <laughs> guy. I'm going to do rhymes because then I would have a musical. I could write music and make a lot of money, right? Like that's like be a ghostwriter for. Does it make you better at it? Like I would think that so. Now? Couldn't you do that now? Too? Like, do you think I have the skill to do that now? I mean. Well, are you? Like, if if it's going to be a three thousand word song that Greg is going to yell at me for, maybe. But, <laughs> um, no, I'm speaking in rhymes because, in theory, I think that would make it easier to write songs and poems and lyrics and whatnot. And I'm going to become rich off that. So, plus, rid- if you if you speak in riddles, only speak in riddles. Batman's going to come for you. 
and you're going to be done. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, like who is your crowd that's hanging out with you if you're only speaking in riddles? Like, they're going to hate you. I guess you could be like a a Nostradamus type character, like just speak in these mysterious. Maybe you could have a cult following. That could that could happen. You could you could develop a cult of riddles, like the the Society of Riddles. I don't know. There's some cool name you could come up with it. So. Yeah, there might be. Yeah, a pretty ba- pretty basic one here. It, again, if people come up with overtimes, anyone listening, definitely send them our way. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, I admittedly went into this one, realized I didn't have one planned, so I found some uh, in the background here. Just a quick basic one. It's got to be rhymes for me too. It's just easier to do, and yeah, getting your point across in riddles would be really rough. Like, I think if the idea was that like you had what you wanted this what you wanted to say and then it somehow got translated into a rhyme or a riddle then like riddles might be more interesting or fun but like if i have to sit there and think about it myself i'm definitely choosing rhyme because yeah riddles would be way too tiring riddles guy is single for his entire life yeah, no, <laughs> no one's dealing with that no one's doing yeah with that. you're right <laughs> it's absolutely true yeah so that is all we got here. Um, definitely check out all the great work that's going on at King's Herald. Uh, Tim, myself, all the other great guys and girls there. Take a look at the Patreon to support local independent Kings coverage. If you enjoyed this episode of the Kings Pulse podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review. And you hear from us again in the next couple of days.